This episode contains mentions of domestic abuse. If you or someone you know is experiencing intimate partner violence or struggling with mental health, you can find resources in the episode description. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Spooky Kid Podcast. This month's episode is Walker's Mandate, and we're listening to the album The Drug in Me Is You by Falling in Reverse. So in this episode, we are talking about the album The Drug in Me Is You by the band Falling in Reverse. It was released on July 26th, 2011. We have Ronnie Radke on lead vocals and keyboard, Anthony Avila on lead guitar and backing vocals, Gilbert Catalano on rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Nathan Schoenfeller on bass guitar and backing vocals, and Nick Rich on drums and percussion. So the album itself peaked at number 18 on the Billboard 200. It sold 18,000 copies in its first week and was certified gold December 17th, 2019 by the Recording Industry Association of America, a.k.a. the RIAA. So this gold certification is equivalent to selling 500,000 copies of an individual album or, in some instances, a single off of an album. The recording took place over a two-month period from December 20th to February 20th of 2011. The three singles that spawned from this album were, I believe in chronological order, Raised by Wolves, The Drug in Me is You, and I'm Not a Vampire. All the songs were written during Ronnie's imprisonment, which obviously he took a lot of influence uh, from his time uh, in prison. Uh, He also from what I could find, took a lot of influence from the letters that came in from fans uh, and their personal input. Ronnie is quoted as saying, I don't know why these kids love the tragedies that I write about. I guess they can relate to it, which, well, it does initially seem as sort of a standoffish way of separating himself from his fans. I think that sometimes he doesn't really know exactly what people want but he can kind of know that as long as it it deals with some sort of uh trauma or or tragedy in a way that people can at least have that resonate there's there's a commonality between everybody uh when it comes to those types of things before we get into ronnie's uh unfortunate background which makes him a problematic character uh there are a few things that i wanted to kind of go over uh, this first bit I thought was kind of funny slash interesting. Based off an interview that Ronnie did with Jennifer Bodanen, who is from Q105.7, a classic rock station. Uh, This was during the 2012 Rock on the Range festival, I I guess you would call it, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. The piece is titled... Ronnie Radke from Falling in Reverse calls Wikipedia a liar, which I thought was kind of a funny funny headline there. He wanted to correct a few facts, so he said that, and I believe these have all been changed since the, this interview, but he said the band had been together since 2006. 
not 2008. Uh, they do not have nine members, uh, nor do they have nine former members. There's a an interesting timeline that's sort of laid out uh, towards the bottom of the Wikipedia, and uh, I believe that, it, from what I can tell, it seems to be factual, so not really sure what he's getting at there. Uh, he wants to clarify that he hasn't murdered anyone. I will explain that comment uh, in a little bit here. Uh, he also wanted to say that the band's name pertains to drugs and the consequences that go along with them and the journey that one can partake in while on them. So that is sort of the inspiration for the the band's name. Uh, they were initially called From Behind These Walls, but I think there was a, a copyright issue, so they had to change their name sort of immediately uh, when they had formed. The remaining information, which uh, based on this interview, Ronnie has not disputed, uh, happens to be that the band uh, is currently signed to Epitaph Records. Uh, this label has quite a few artists, which I believe a lot of people would recognize. We have All American Rejects, Bring Me the Horizon, A Day to Remember, uh, but they're just responsible for distributing their, uh, their music. Um, Escape the Fate, uh, and this is kind of where I, I put a note that we kind of are tying in the previous episode, so um, I don't know if we want to get into more detail, but in 2005, Escape the Fate, when Ronnie was part of the group, they won a radio contest judged by My Chemical Romance, and that got them a lot of exposure. Do you know anything more about that, Grace? I don't know if... No, that's all I know. It was... Was it to get a record deal or to tour with somebody? I just know that Gerard Way was um, part of the judging panel, I think. Yeah, yeah. So and, uh, an interesting little uh, little tie in there. So uh, moving on, uh, Green Day is also uh, signed to Epitaph, but for distribution on their first two albums. So I guess technically they're not with the, that label anymore, uh, but they were in the beginning. Uh, Parkway Drive... From First to Last, The Offspring, Sleeping with Sirens, Survive This, which uh, is a band that I, I enjoy. They only put out two albums and they are unfortunately disbanded. But on their, I believe their first album, Ronnie has a few songs where he does some vocals on. And uh, I think they're, they're a lot of fun, but um, it's it just kind of made me sad that uh, to know for a fact that they are no longer putting out any, any more music because... I think their last, their second album came out maybe back in 20, I want to say 2017, 2018. So uh, that's kind of, I just, I found that out looking up uh, the information for this episode and that, that kind of made me a little, little sad there. But uh, anyway, and the last uh, few bands here that I had recognized on the, the label, uh, Weezer, uh, but now they're active with Atlantic Records, but I, I believe they started with Epitaph uh, and You, Me at Six. So getting into more of Ronnie's criminal past, the main event as far as what got him put in jail, uh, I've got quite a bit of information on, so bear with me. This might take a little bit of time for me to kind of condense down, but this is from a story that was written by Beverly Bryan in 
the uh, and it's archived in Las Vegas life cycle. So and it was written on May sixth, two thousand six. So in in the article, Beverly writes. Radke may have been fired from the band Escape the Fate because he's facing felony charges in connection to a May 6th incident that left one local youth dead from gunshot wounds and another critically injured. Based on North Las Vegas police reports and interviews, Radke challenged another young man, Marcel Colquitt, to a fight uh, when words about over Colquitt's girlfriend were exchanged. It seems the two shootings that resulted were an unexpected outcome of that challenge. According to police reports, Radke and Colquitt agreed to meet on May 6th in the desert uh, just north of Shadow Ridge High School near the end of Decatur Boulevard to fight as a means of settling their dispute. So both Ronnie and Marcel brought a fairly decent-sized posse, so it wasn't just the two of them fighting. And... Essentially what happened was, and it's unclear who shot first, but from what I could tell, two individuals, part of Marcel's group, were shot and one of whom was fatally wounded. The other survived his injuries, but what ended up happening is that murder charges were not being pressed against the individual who fired the deadly shots because he was apparently acting in self-defense and... So Radke was released after questioning, but charged with challenge to a fight. I guess that's a charge. I I haven't really heard of that before. Uh, And also possession of a deadly weapon. It was found out that he had brass knuckles on him at the time, though he did not use them. He was initially charged with five years probation. However, he failed to show up to his probation officer and was arrested in June of 2008. His original sentence was then passed down, giving him two years in prison because he failed to show up to his probation officer. And that sort of wraps up the incident where people might have assumed incorrectly that he was the one who had, had killed the uh, the other kid that was, was there. Uh, but he did not have any firearms on him at the time, so obviously... His uh, his own ego kind of created the situation, but to point the finger at him directly is sort of a misguided idea. But there are other instances uh, where he has run-ins with the law, and they don't paint the best picture of him um, either. So, uh, next up, based on what I could find, uh, on May 1st of 2012, Radke was accused of striking his then-girlfriend and was arrested and charged with a misdemeanor count of corporal injury and a misdemeanor of false imprisonment. Following his arrest, he was released on $30,000 bail. In May of 2014, he pled no contest to the charge of disturbing the peace, and the domestic violence charges against him were subsequently dropped. In September 29th of 2012, this is sort of a uh, performance issue so he threw three microphone stands into the audience during a performance at Six Flags and it was a a punk rock festival called Fest Evil clever name (laughs) but uh, unfortunately there were some injuries a 16 year old girl was injured and had to be taken to the hospital and a 24 year old man was injured but he was treated at the scene so I suppose his injuries weren't too bad. Ronnie in an interview, was quoted as saying, 
what he did was a stupid move on my part. I did a whole bunch of stupid moves, though, because I did it a lot. I threw Mike Sands into the crowd a lot. No one got hurt except for that day. I would never do that again. Uh, I don't want my fans to, to be hurt. So uh, I felt like he was genuine about that. And I don't know why you would want to throw Mike Stands into your audience. But uh, apparently it was sort of something that he had done not just during this one performance. So he was charged with uh, simple assault and aggravated assault and then released on $25,000 bail. Again, he publicly apologized for his actions, uh, claiming it was never his intention to hurt anybody. But uh, following the incident, Six Flags decided to ban hard rock and heavy metal bands from performing at their park. Which I think if... As a as a band, you don't want to be the one to ruin everything. Sort of the, the be the to be the band of uh, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> it seems a little weird though, because I don't. I mean, I guess metal and that kind of scene is a lot more intense. But I think that could happen with any kind of music, right? I don't know. It seems weird that they're. They are, it seems weird that they're punishing harder music for this one guy. Yeah, I guess I don't have a huge frame of reference, but I don't know. I've seen some pretty energetic people during like uh, EDM shows and stuff. So that, uh, that incident I thought was worth bringing up and, uh, Again, I don't really know the genesis of, of why he would he would do something like that or where he found three mic stands because as far as I know, there would really only be maybe one or two up there, but maybe he had them in his back pocket. I don't know. So the last incident that I saw listed uh, has to do with a defamation lawsuit. A woman back in June of 2015 accused Radke and his band of uh, sexual assault. And it was determined that uh, by police that Radke did have contact with her, though they found no evidence that he or his entourage had assaulted her as she had claimed. And Radke then filed a uh, lawsuit against this woman for defamation. That kind of gives you an idea of his unfortunate uh, actions and... I think he's he seems to have cleaned up his image a little bit more uh, in the past maybe five years or so, but I think unfortunately these these things, uh, especially what happened as far as the uh, unfortunate death of that that young kid, do hang with him, and people don't really forget about it, and I think that kind of poisons their idea of him as a person. So the uh, the first song on the album, "Raised by Wolves." Personally, I think it's one of the uh, one of those songs that is really good for uh, for the the first uh, in an album because it kind of pulls you in with those stripped down vocals and uh, just kind of takes it from there. Do you do you have anything uh, specifically that that stood out um, lyrically that you guys want to want to talk about? Not not like a specific line, but the general theme of like wolves 
and like the dark seems kind of interesting. I don't know because it seems to be about his like drug problems, right? The song in general. It's it is interesting to use wolves as uh, I don't know if they're necessarily referenced in the song, obviously in the title, but to use that as the the opener and in lines like cornucopia of opiates. I flooded my head. You know, you have lines like that where he's out and out admitting to uh, to drug usage. It's kind of refreshing in a way. Uh, it's not necessarily to to say, "Oh, I'm having so much fun uh, on on uh, this high," but it's just stating a fact, more or less. It seems to be like a bad influence. Well, like obviously, drugs are not depending on the drug are pretty tough to deal with. But he seems like how he's talking about it is that he is like overwhelmed by them. This whole album and you know, him in general, he lacks subtlety at all, but in a, in a fun way. From what I understand, the majority of these, these songs were written while he was in jail or in prison. I don't know if that changes things. I think it's obviously a good use of your time. If you're not doing anything, might as well, put something productive in and obviously with his background he's musically inclined so for him not to do something like this when he when he's incarcerated obviously would seem to be out of character so i don't know that that comes through in the music but there's a clear difference between the album that he did with his previous band and this first album that he's doing with falling in reverse you kind of get a different energy. It's it's definitely more upbeat. And I don't know if that has to do with whoever was giving him instruction as far as, oh, no, you, you should sing like this, or if it has more to do with the actual music backing him. But the whole package, for me, it's got that high energy that, that uh, it's just fun. It is very fun. It's very over the top, I think. And... Part of me wonders if it is so upbeat because of the history with him going to jail and getting basically kicked out of his last band. So this was his like comeback album and band and he wanted to show everybody like he can do it and, you know, he doesn't need other people. He doesn't need that other band, you know? Right. Right. And I don't know if this was, it, it seemed like it was intentional, but in, in this first song that we're, we're talking about, you have lines like, I've learned that my fate is something I can't escape. Clearly uh, a reference to his old band, but in a way that he's just saying, I'm not afraid to talk about things in my music about the people I've worked with. And I'm not going to spread things that are false, but I also want them to know this is where the line is. I'm I'm sort of establishing it before you can. Uh, from what I understand, the second album that Escape the Fate put out, the title, uh, This War is Ours, he felt like was a direct kind of jab at him in that they were kind of going to be the, the band to, to rise beyond falling in reverse. And historically, you could argue that that isn't really the case, but it's something to think about that they, they really didn't 
directly attack Ronnie, but Ronnie felt like in the beginning he at least had to say something directly at at, uh, at them. So, yeah, I would say a lot of this first song is directly at the old band, or it's definitely about someone that he has a grudge against because he's say- it's kind of like a threat. He's saying, "Hey, um, I was raised in a way that." means that I'm a fighter and he said I will never spill my blood for you uh you've let me down one too many times so I kind of took that in a way where it's like you know when you're singing songs or making music it's very emotional so it's kind of like I'm not going to keep giving you part of me you've let me down so many times and I'm gonna fight and come back up on my own yeah. And to kind of get back to what Chris had brought up about the wolves, uh, obviously there's those cheesy memes about, oh, you have two two wolves inside of you, one which is evil, one which is not. Uh, and despite that context, I think if you kind of take that idea and put it into what he's saying, it, it kind of feels like he wants to choose between one or the other but hasn't really gotten that far yet. I took it a different way. I thought, I mean, the phrase raised by wolves, it usually means like when someone says, what are you raised by wolves? It usually means that you're like impolite or aggressive. And I think that's, he's saying that he's going to use that to his advantage and he's not going to back down. That's fair. That's fair. And I don't know if that attitude was right or wrong to take, but I think it uh, sets them apart. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the attitude he uses in every album afterwards, too. Uh, Just a a note before we move on to the next track. Musically, I think, uh, I think maybe three quarters of the way through, there's some great keyboard work. Obviously, we can't play that, but if you have listened to the song, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. All right. So any any other thoughts that you guys had on this first track? Uh, I remember listening to this a lot in high school, like on repeat with Grace back in, uh, you know, those days. Listen, like in the car rides and just blasting it with uh, the windows open. So it brings back a lot of good and bad memories, but it's very, very nostalgic right now. This song in particular? This song in particular, but the whole album, yeah, and Ronnie in general was like a big talking point, I guess, around uh, high school. But I feel like this song sticks out that it was often, often played. This was one of the first albums I liked every song on. Usually I kind of just listen to singles. Um, or just like picked and choose what I wanted to listen to. I liked Pandora a lot because I just liked random things one after another. But when I heard this album, it was like my mind kind of exploded. And I was like, this is, this is perfect. There's one song that I always skip and we'll get to it. But for the most part, it blew my teenage brain. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, a, it's just a very fun album for sure. Yeah, and this, and this was, uh, like I said, a uh, a strong start. So 
On to the next one. Uh, so the next track on the list here is Tragic Magic. Could have been in the first slot, but I think it maybe made more sense to put it next in the lineup because to start off with him laughing and, and saying I'm back, it could have been a little bit of a rough start. It would mess with the uh, the energy that you've, you've brought to that point. So... Um, in my notes, I wrote that he was indeed back. <laughs> so, yes, he, <laughs> he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a lyric that I kind of had a little discussion with Grace about. Uh, I it kind of is a, a bit more of a deeper dive on certain things within the genre and whatnot. So, before I get into that, is there anything that you guys want to bring up? Uh, well, I think that the first song, "Raised by Wolves," was him like coming out being real aggressive and then this one is it's a different type of aggression it's kind of like cockiness it's saying not only am i back and i'm fighting you i'm better than you it's like this escalation that seems to be a big thing with a lot of his songs is that not only is he back but he's better than you and i gotta appreciate his confidence but it also to me comes off as very like bro-y you know um it, it he's a fun character because i remember seeing him ronnie radke i mean is a fun character i remember seeing him at warp tour back in the day and he comes out on stage it was also like 100 degrees out he comes out and he's wearing a trench coat that is just hundred dollar bills like that's the print (laughs) and he's got these weird sci-fi sunglasses that cover like the top half of his face and like wrap around the sides they looked like they were from star trek but that's awesome and did he wear that outfit the entire time yes and i think he had like a wife beater on under it or something but you know but still a trench coat in that kind of heat mm-hmm and you're on stage where I'm sure it's probably 10, if not 15 degrees hotter than the actual air. And he's running around stage and, you know, oh, screaming. God. Yeah, It was a good time. He, he's, a, he's a fun watch. I got to give him credit for that. His broiness and all that aside, he's, he's, in, he's a good entertainer. Walker and I saw him much later. It was probably about, at that point, five years later. And he took his shirt off for most of it. Yeah, it was right before they released their third album. The one with the jean shorts. I think that was the album he was debuting. Was it? Did it just release? I can't remember. Oh, maybe not, because he. it was actually um, technically a Black Veil Brides concert, but Falling in Reverse was an opener. Yeah. So it it wasn't an album tour. So you're right. I think it probably was before an album. But yeah, he was shirtless for most of it. I, I would not be surprised if Ronnie is always shirtless in all of his live performances. But didn't Falling in Reverse win a contest to open for Black Veil Brides? Or was that when they were in Escape the Fate? Or when he was in Escape the Fate? I think that was Escape the Fate. Oh, okay. Is that that was like their big break, I guess, and then after that, gotcha. I think that 
this song is one of the simpler ones lyrically. There's not a whole lot of variety going on. It's just a lot of showboating and kind of peacocking on on Ronnie's part. But that being said, I think that you know the line where he says that uh, he turns tragedy into melodies over catchy beats. This kind of gets back to. Well, it's a it's kind of it's a funny line. It's good. It just kind of makes you laugh a little bit. He's um, not wrong. No, but it gets back to this idea where Ronnie mentions that a lot of what inspired him was what fans had written into him about when he was uh, incarcerated, and he he kind of wanted to just say that he he heard what what people were saying and kind of was giving them what they wanted in a way. And I think I that's a little bit, you know, it's commendable to to always keep your fans in the back of your mind. Okay, so this line that I'm talking about where I've got a lot to, to say, again, do you guys want to jump on in? Because there's, this, I think might, there might be some uh, some yelling going on. But. Yeah, you know where I stand with this, but uh, let's, let's move into it. Sure. Okay, so uh, the line in question... Uh, it, it's uh, where he says, that's why they call me king of the music scene. And there's a couple of ways that you can interpret it. I took if it as... If you imagine commas. Right. If you sort of... Obviously, the way that it's it's sung is one way. But if you think about it, so uh, I took it as, as that he's saying all of that. And there's, it's that's why they call me king of the music, comma, scene. Like he's talking about how... You, you know, scene culture? Yeah. That's we're up. very familiar with scene culture. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just making sure we're on the same track. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm here for the audience too. Okay, you've I gotta... seen our pictures. So we'll we'll get into an explanation, but essentially, uh, if we take that meaning and kind of run with it, uh, I'm I, I prefer to interpret him sort of being self-aware uh, about the the niche that his music is catering to uh, and what his band kind of represents. So, to get into scene as a subculture, based on the Wikipedia page, uh, the band is listed in the music section under artists commonly associated with this scene subculture, along with Escape the Fate and a few others. There is this great quote from the Boston Phoenix that I, I wanted to hear your take on, Chris. Grace knows it, but... Essentially, what was said is that the idea that a handful of kids would remix lowest common denominator screamo with crunk beats, misappropriated gangsterism, and the extreme garishness of emo fashion were sure to incite hate-filled diatribes. What do you think about that? I think that was written by a very angry old man. That's like, back in my day, (laughs) you know... What a bummer of a of a description, man! I don't just let, let let people do their thing. They're not hurting anybody. That was my exact reaction. And uh, funnily enough, I'm sure you you kind of uh, maybe could have guessed this, maybe not. But from from what I read, uh, a lot of this subculture came from from England in the early 2000s sort of migrated over here, mm. uh, which is, I assumed that it started here, but uh, much like punk rock and other genres, things sort of built up and then were transferred over from 
the UK, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I would say that it's a pretty accurate description, though. The only thing that I would say is warranted of a critique is the uh, somewhat cultural appropriation. It was a different time, and I think people were, like, not quite understanding rap and hip-hop in the way that it needed to be understood, and they were just going to take the parts that they could identify with and then steal it and pretend they made it up. Right. And unfortunately, Ronnie is guilty of this on <laughs> on one album in particular, the the follow-up to this album. Uh, it's It's very obvious what he's doing. But this one still plays it safe and doesn't cross into that territory directly. Well, it can't be writing rap in prison. No. <laughs> if you look at him. No. Right, it was before, this was pre the facial tattoos, so I think it will be a little bit tougher. His comments about why he does hip-hop and rap is very problematic, and we're not going to get into it, but... Yeah, there, there are some issues. It's, again, it doesn't, it doesn't really reflect this album uh, on the whole, and so I think it's not worth stepping into that right now. But if you do think, of, you know, this album is good and I like it, maybe consider, based on, on that, uh, that the second album in particular might not be for you. Certain songs, at least. There's good there's good stuff on there. Don't get me wrong, but are we going to talk about the fashion? Yeah, scene? we can we can definitely talk about the fashion scene. There is one line that says, "You bring a picture of me every time you get a haircut, imposter." Um, and it's a great line. It's a good burn. I thought it was hilarious, but there's an extra layer of comedy when you see what his hair looked like at the time. Because it is the combination of kind of emo Justin Bieber hair and a mullet and jet black, almost the Karen hairstyle. But pointy. It's sharp. Yes. It doesn't look. Yeah, not sharp as in it's a compliment. It just no. it looks physically like it could stab somebody. It looks a bit like a like a hedgehog or a porcupine. Even when I loved seeing an emo kind of MySpace style, I was like, "This is too much. This this is a lot. I I think people will regret this." Yeah, I I saw I would see people in in high school that would fully commit to that look, and I understood obviously it could be a preference, but for me personally, I could never take things that far. I wanted to, but my mom and hairdressers didn't let it happen. And it's for the best. But I was bummed. You could add some very uh, fond pictures to look back on, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tried. I I got there sometimes, but most of our friends looked like that. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of sweeps going on in black hair going on in our friend group in high school or bad maroon it was a lot of everyone would have a maroon haircut or hair color yeah there's a lot of hair dye going on too 
And that, that obviously hasn't stopped, but the, uh, the look or the popular look has obviously evolved. But the, it's funny, the hair dyeing uh, seems to be consistent through the decades. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that that will never go away. That's just, you know, if anything, it's gotten more extreme with the people who do kind of pastel colors. But the reds and the blues, like fire engine red and bright blue were moves that were made. And I know exactly how they fade away because no one was able to maintain it. So I know what old blue hair looks like and old red hair looks like. I think the one thing I personally couldn't commit to was having long hair. I'm sure... I could have gotten over that, but I just, for whatever reason, felt like it would be more of a hassle than it would be worth. What about you, Chris? Do you have any inclinations toward that aesthetic? With long hair specifically? No, just the the general scene look. I don't really know. I I never really, I don't know. I mean, I've seen maybe a picture of you in high school, but. I didn't really dress as a scene kid. I dressed more as like a flannel exclusively kind of guy or maybe that was more of a college thing i don't know but i mean band t-shirts really it was kind of a lot of yeah band t-shirts graphic tees that kind of thing um yeah i don't know like ronnie's and falling in reverses scene look like in that time is so over the top it's kind of hard to like the friends in our group didn't have anything quite like what Ronnie and them were doing, you know. Um, thank God, you know, it, it, it's a lot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it definitely changed things. I think. Yeah, I would say, you know how there's always kind of like, oh, this is the traditional 60s look that most people had. This is the stereotypical 80s look that everyone has and everyone made fun of. This is the 90s look. The early to mid-2000s look. Well, I guess... I guess it's like 2010, maybe? Was... So extreme. And... I would say out of nowhere, but he does kind of look like Steven Tyler sometimes. Yeah. And that, that to me, I think is an interesting parallel because it's almost like you do have these precursor celebrities that you can kind of point to and say, uh, that's kind of like so-and-so and what they were going for. And I think that that's always going to be the case because, you know, not to be, cynical but really nothing is quote-unquote original so yeah i mean even your quote says it's a conglomeration of a lot of different things and that quote unfortunately said it's the worst of every genre mixed together but i don't i don't agree with that but it's a take right yeah you have to appreciate or at least find certain things that you like about those genres in order to get into this music. Yeah, because the quote is essentially saying it's bad screamo and it's bad hip-hop put together. Yes. And crunk beats, which are kind of in between those two ideas. Hearing you say crunk beats is... What are crunk beats even? 
Is that like we'll look him up after <laughs> oh. after the uh, episode? Is, is my age showing? It's the whitest conversation ever. What are crunk beats? How do you say crunk beat? <laughs> what is the beats of crunk? I do not. I do not understand. Uh, I've well, never felt more like Hank Hill. Right. <laughs> I, I kind of like this generation of music. <laughs> but apparently, on, on a side note about the, that's why they call me the king or king of the music scene. I was looking at that. Wasn't he? I don't remember what. It was some rock magazine and it was the cover and he was on it. It was about him. And that magazine called him the king of the music scene. I don't know if there's a comma involved, but I don't know if you guys have uh, seen that or not. I, I haven't. Uh, I'll have to look it up. But that's interesting. If I don't know if he's a, directly adopting it from that or if they they thought that, that would be a good thing to, to use. Maybe if this if it was done after the album. But if you, if we take the comma out of it and we apply it to that he means music in general, I think it, it sounds a little bit more, it, it's, it's kind of far-fetched because to say that about a guy who, and not to really take anything the wrong way, but he, he doesn't speak or perform to all different types of music it's impossible for for any one artist really so to say that and to mean that i don't really think is the best way to go about showing your superior in that way right i kind of had the same thought of is he just saying that to say it like does he actually think that because that is not a good look but if he did just take it from the magazine cover or article, whatever, then at least it wasn't his own words exactly. But I still feel like you got to be kind of full of yourself to drop that in a song. Right. And, and also in combination with that, he's really only put out the one album with Escape the Fate at this point. So it's also a little premature, it feels, to to do that without having more of a discography to back you. Yeah, to say that on song two of your first album is very bold. But, I mean, fake it until you make it. Sure, sure, that's a valid philosophy. Shall we move on? We shall. Okay, the next song, the title track, The Drug and Me Is You. Recently, they did a reimagined version of this this song which has more of a piano backing it's slowed down a little bit toward the end you get more of that sort of same element but it's a very different song we'll talk about this one on the album uh, i just wanted people to if they weren't aware know that in case they really like this song and wanted to maybe hear it done a little bit differently by the same group so uh, at first, I was a little bit, and I think having listened to this album, this song so many times, I was always trying to understand where 
Ronnie was going with things because they said directly that they don't really write songs about love, but I kind of felt like you could interpret this song that way. Although maybe not. If it is a song about love and you want to put it under that that lens, uh, it's definitely a twisted version of things because, and I don't know that people really say that you're like a drug, I can't get enough of you kind of thing. People say that constantly. Okay, well, I, I think that I'd be hard-pressed hard to actually say that to, to somebody. I think that a lot of people say it, and a lot of people who are seen teenagers say it. So I think that it's very angsty. This song was bound to be, yeah, very angsty. It's bound to be a hit. And it's funny because he kind of does a, a callback, I believe, in the next album, and I forget what song, but there's a lyric that goes something like, "Your love is like a drug, but it's not enough." And I felt like that kind of called back to this particular track. So, despite the lyrics being a bit of a bummer i think musically it's it's really one of the more catchy songs you 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 just have to kind of dance a little bit you know move a little bit it, it, you can't listen to it and really sit still i don't think but that's a very good point i don't think i've ever not accidentally sang the song if it's on i'm going to be screaming it and dancing to it no matter what mood I started when I was listening to it. So don't play that when you're around me because I'm going to embarrass myself. So all the more reason to play it around Grace. But it's also, once I actually looked at the lyrics, I realized I didn't know the lyrics. So it's it's a sight to be seen. Speaking of lyrics, uh, I think... This is sort of the, one of the points in the album where we get to see philosopher Ronnie kind of break out a little bit. That's what I appreciate about the song is that it seems to be way more deep than his other songs. And that it seems to be way more like introspective of Ronnie than him just being the hot new thing, you know? Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. There are a few things. Hang on. I'm just trying to find my notes. Okay. Uh, so again, uh, not, not that, uh, I didn't appreciate what you were adding, Chris, but, uh, before I was, what I was talking about was, uh, I was going to get into the line where he, he says, if we're born to die and we all die to live, then what's the point of living if it just contradicts? So again, you could kind of take that to, to feel sort of pseudo philosophical, but I think in the song and given what he's really talking about it it feels like he's saying more with that what that more is it's kind of hard to really figure out you know you can look at the line and it can just mean one thing but obviously or it feels like it means a lot more to him personally so really this song shows that he can be vulnerable as a person and that is what I think helps pull you through the album as opposed to if you were just saying, I'm the best at this, no one can touch me, yada, yada, yada. It, it, it gives more substance, like, like Chris had said. Yeah, and th there's a lot to do with 
he's trying to get away from his past and he's dealing with kind of, I guess what you would call imposter syndrome, which is funny to follow up a song where you're bragging about being the best with saying like, I can't believe I'm actually meant to be here. And running from my past, I'm praying my feet don't fail me now. Yeah. It's it's lyrics like that that give the the reimagined version, I think, more weight because of all the songs to do that with, I think this was probably the best, given what it's saying through the lyrics. Do you uh do you have anything else you wanted to, to mention, Chris? It's a good song. Uh, I agree that I think it was the best song for them to have reimagined. Uh, the reimagined version does give a way different vibe about the song. It's still same lyrics and everything, but the delivery and the piano make it all very somber, which I appreciate, especially after like the high energy octane-ness that is this album and him in general. So... Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think this was a single before the album came out. Like they kind of launched their band with this song, which I think is great. But also, then you see the other songs where it's all about how great Ronnie is and how like cool he is. So it it's it's a nice change, but I also feel like he got a little baited with the the rest of the songs a little bit. Right. If you if you're just hearing this single on on the radio or whatever, and he's starting with saying that, uh, I'm trying to remember how the line goes. Um, essentially, opening the door and seeing death standing there. It, it's it's so different than a lot of the other songs. I heard a knock upon my door the other day. I opened it to find death staring in my face. I think it is, to use your word, Chris, I think it is the perfect bait because most of the stuff we were listening to at the time was super sad. So I think this was kind of, let me appeal to these people that like this certain music, but then if you want to see his bragging as helping people get some confidence that are like helping his fans be like, Hey, let's let's try to do this instead cuz we're all pretty depressed and messed up. But we can be better. But we can be better and like I I remember kind of feeling like more special because of things that were going on. I think that's why for me it resonated a lot when I was a teenager. It, it uh was one of those albums where at the end of it you do feel like you kind of just work through a lot of stuff just track by track. It just kind of helps contextualize things and ground you a little bit more. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Yeah, no, it's, and again, uh, if we don't mention it, uh, the, the musicality of, of all this album, I don't really see, I haven't found any faults personally. So I think that on its own, all good stuff. Top tier. The next track, I'm Not a Vampire, which it was also a single, I believe. Uh, I will confirm that later on, but I believe this was one of three singles that came from this album. And again, it keeps the pace going and the energy uh, with uh, with these, these punchy drums at the very beginning and then Ronnie coming in. 
it sounds to me like the song that they probably had the most fun recording. I'm going to assume that. I could be wrong, but I think that it would be a lot of fun to play through this song. And I think that that shows. The guitar solos are insane, too. Yes, yes. Some very fantastic guitar work. Uh, I'm forgetting the uh, the main guy's name, but uh, I think this, this kid was pretty young. For, he was teeny tiny. Yeah, yeah. But he was he's one of the best. True legend. Even though we don't know his name. Sorry, we will insert it uh, here. Anthony Avila. Again, we have another song that references addiction with drugs and also alcoholism, but it's put into a more upbeat and sort of more visually interesting context. You've got zombie imagery, vampire imagery. Pregnant women imagery. Right, well... (laughs) Or pregnant Ronnie imagery, which no stop obviously Ew. is worse. But oh my god, yeah. But I mean, he's basically doing an extended metaphor for the symptoms of being a vampire and the symptoms of having withdrawal. Correct. I don't have any notes about the lyrics on their own because I think they kind of speak for themselves. But they're very clear. He doesn't really pull any punches with this. No, not not too much hidden in in the meaning, I suppose. I, I liked the. Uh, I don't know how they did the the vomiting sound. I'm sure there was just sort of a way to do it in the studio, but I just thought that it. I think that they they just said black. Yeah, but the way that they they dressed it up and it just it made it more of a um uh an instrument type thing than just I'm gonna make you know make it sound like i'm throwing up it was just sort of like that's part of the music like you could you know you can't have that song and not have that effect i think is what i'm getting at instrumental retching yes hot you think well grace had said prior to our recording that ronnie's sort of one to always kind of use his voice as an instrument first and then use it to throw out the words that he wants to say right because we were having a discussion um, when we decided to choose this album about how we've looked up the lyrics and they don't really always make sense. And my point was that I think because of his, um, affinity for rap that he'll talk, that he'll, um, show later, I think that one lesson he did learn was that the sound of your voice and the I, I mean i don't know much about actual like music theory or anything but and i don't think he does either but um i think that the sound and the rhythm of your voice is more important than the poetry the lyrics at least it's it's good if that comes first because you can kind of make something that's a little bit off at least feel like it flows and you don't have to sit there and question it and sort of turn it around in your head to really as as an audience member or listener kind of really slam on the brakes and say wait what yeah and i think that's different than some of the other bands that we listen to of that time like the kind of more of the pop punk and emo stuff were lyrics first and vocals later and it 
a lot of the times you would listen to some of the songs and they weren't even singing in the right key, but it was like that was the emotional impact was what was important, not the vocals. Um, but Ronnie takes a much more um, pop approach where it's lyrics are kind of coming second to the song as a whole. Anything you wanted to talk about on this track, Chris? I just think it's another interesting angle of like him comparing himself to like a wolf essentially in raised by the wolves and then comparing himself to a literal monster in this one. Um, saying he's not one and to like mothers better lock your doors and hide your daughters. He seems to think he's some kind of like monster in the night, you know, and that you should stay away from him. I don't know. Just weird. It's, it's like a weird balance of, him thinking he's really cool and then also being very ashamed of who he is. Yeah, I think especially during this time when I was listening to Falling in Reverse and all the other bands I liked at the time and still kind of like now, it was I had so much anxiety within me that I kind of wanted other people to feel anxiety when they were around me. So I tried to be scary. I tried to have this persona that made people not want to be around me because I'd rather have them see me and not want anything to do with me than get to know me and then not like me. And I think an interesting effect of what you're talking about is that you have people that are very visually distinct from everybody else. And so I think some people might choose to not incorporate into that because they do want, they care about fitting in more than they do about being part of a group. But at the same point in time, if you are, if you do sort of look a certain way, you can kind of easily identify with other people who might align more directly with how how you want to be and so you can find sort of it's like that you can find one another more quickly as opposed to actually having to get to know somebody more you can have that commonality that common ground where you can think of oh well either they like the music that i like or there's something about these certain things that they're interested in that we can click on and know that's sort of a direct tie right off the bat. Yeah, I definitely would. I was that kid that would ask, what music do you like? And if it wasn't an answer I liked, I thought that we could never get along. I tied my identity to music so much at the time because because of stuff like this where it's like oh if you don't relate to me of feeling a certain way like I think 
at the time, I didn't realize that a lot of the feelings he's talking about and a lot of the feelings I related to were feelings that everyone feels. I felt very alienated. And then through growing up, I realized, oh, everyone feels lonely and sad and like they don't fit in. They're just expressing it in a different way. And I'm being very open about it, which is good. I guess it makes me and other people genuine, but it wasn't like I pretty much thought anyone who doesn't dress like me and listen to the music I listen to can't possibly feel negative emotions. It was a very strange thing that I had like lined up in my head, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I definitely get where you're coming from of like kind of writing yourself off before someone else could write you off of like if I'm this certain way and then they don't want to talk to me, that's fine because that's what I expected to happen anyways. So then, you know, no big loss. So, yeah, I, I can relate there for sure. Yeah, it, uh, and I'm sure that there, this isn't, the only thing that that kind of creates that same feeling in people as far as a type of music or different media but it's obviously for the three of us something that we we all know and sort of thought of as kind of that that thing that was a little bit different you know yeah and chris and i talked about how when we were in high school, this was music that brought all of our friends together and we really liked it and related to it. But then I went to college and I wasn't with any of you guys, but then I was hanging out with some friends and everyone was playing music and it was Walker's turn to play music and he played Falling in Reverse and I about lost my mind because up until that point, the only people I knew who liked or even knew Falling in Reverse were people back home. So I was like, you, me, friends, we got, we got to do this. So it's not all bad to be like, I find my friends because of my music taste, because I think there is something to it. I think that you can operate on the same wavelengths and understand each other a little better if you listen to the same music. But I've obviously grown up a little bit past that but it is it is good i mean if you find someone who likes falling in reverse <laughs> they're a keeper it's funny i was kind of embarrassed when i was in high school to really share this this album with anybody and so i just kind of had that as my own my own thing if you know i wanted to just kind of listen to something that i felt like it's just something between me and myself and i then i would put this album on well it's a good thing you didn't that day we're together because of falling in reverse. Weird, weird to think about, but I mean, I'm sure it's you know you could you could fill in different bands, but I'm sure that there are relationships that start because of music, and I think that's a good thing. Okay, all right. So the next track, "Good Girls, Bad Guys." This happens to be, unfortunately, a song that I, to this day, never really could really commit to part of that comes from the fact that it's pretty repetitive 
and I think the actual instruments aren't as strong. Uh, there's a part where Ronnie literally calls out a guitar solo. He says guitar, and then the solo itself kind of lame, unfortunately. It doesn't have that same energy to to really cross that that next to that next portion of the song. It just kind of is there. I remember just thinking the song was funny. Yeah, that was basically all I thought. I thought it was kind of gross, but it's also Ronnie, so nothing too surprising, but it is funny and just like, oh, look how many ladies Ronnie gets. Uh, yeah, okay. I think that's, yeah. that's all we needed to say on this one. You can't really dissect this song. Not without getting an E rating. Right. Right. So we will move on. Okay. Next up, we have the song, Pick Up the Phone. I like this song. A catchy tune about domestic violence. Right. Which is, I think, probably hard to pull off. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't condone anything uh, that, that is, is discussed. Obviously, this is a toxic relationship and... To put it into a song is obviously one thing, but uh, don't don't uh, don't be violent, kids. It's not the right the right. And path. if someone is violent, please look up your nearest domestic violence hotline. I think the uh, having the song sort of be an extended voicemail is interesting because you had. I'm forgetting where this the what genre but I, I distinctly remember during this time that there were these angry voicemails it's like a it's just sort of like a faint wisp in my mind do you know what i'm talking about no you guys don't well i've heard people sample voicemails in songs before yeah but i thought that there was some kind of i don't know if it was like a radio thing where they would leave angry voicemails and then play them on on air, like a prank thing. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. It kind of just reminds me of that. If that uh, jogs anything loose in people's heads, I don't know. But um, I think it's interesting because it's it's not just oh, I'm going to write a song and describe all these things about this toxic relationship and just leave it at that. It kind of gives it more of a uh, an artistic edge and really I think it brings especially with the answer of the um, automated message saying that we're sorry the number you've dialed is not in service at this time F you it kind of it's a little bit of a closure and uh, I think is a, a good good message that Maybe Ronnie is it himself admitting that if this was a one-to-one with the relationship that he had, that he clearly was in the wrong and couldn't really just blame the other person. Yeah, it's interesting if it actually happened or, I mean, it must have in some capacity happened for him to get into, well, I apologize about last night. I really did not mean to disrespect you. I think it's hard to write a song like this and not have it inspired by something that actually happened to you. 
Anything else, Grace, you wanted to note about this track? No, not really. Okay. All right. Moving on, we have the next song, which is Don't Mess With Ouija Boards. A song where Ronnie admits to selling his soul to rock and roll and letting his demons take control. Looking a little bit deeper, I felt like that felt a little bit like a cop-out where, oh no, this isn't really me up here on stage. It's, I, I'm, I'm sort of doing this kind of uh, out of character, but then he follows that line with, redemption seems so far away, this microphone is my, my escape. Um, so maybe it's that he thinks this is sort of an interesting kind of mutation of uh, a penance in a way beyond the uh, time that he spent in jail, or I keep saying jail, that beyond the time that he spent in prison. Um, he also mentions that his, uh, that his spirit is torn. So I took that to mean that he partially wants to get back at his old bandmates and the other part of him would like to give the, his fans what they're looking for. I took it a little bit differently. I thought it was... I, I kind of saw it as a sort of I didn't realize all the consequences of fame kind of song where he's saying that he is half his persona and half who he actually is and he didn't realize the price it would pay, he would have to pay in order to have that. I think that's a valid point, too. And that he's lost himself a bit because of the fame and because of the persona he's created. I think I'm a little more in line with Grace's interpretation because what I had written down was um, don't mess with Ouija boards because now my spirit's torn. So it seemed like the impression I got is people thought he was like done or dead to music, but he's back, but he's kind of feeling conflicted about like what he's done and, you know, what he did and things that happened in the past. And a lot of it seems to be very uncertain up until... You will look into my eyes, you will see the light, it burns so bright. This flame will never die. Some kind of, I'm like, I know who I am, kind of bridged the initial conflict and got a little bit more confidence back in his ability or, you know, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think that that would kind of align better with what, uh, what Grace had, had interpreted. But I think everything kind of wrapped up into one idea might fit the, uh, intention more succinctly, but 
it's hard to tell exactly because we're not in Ronnie's head. So, but I think it's a combination of all three um, because I didn't quite think about it in terms of, well, Ouija boards have to do with ghosts and not only is his spirit torn, he's also having a lot of ghosts from his past still bothering him and still, uh, they still have a, um, a hold on his reputation. Right. And I forget what track he says that he had overdosed at one point. He's kind of expressing that existential issue as well. Right. I think that was the drug in me is you. Oh, no, that was tragic magic. Yeah, that was, that was tragic magic. 2005, I almost died. I overdosed. I did not know. Did I provoke this evil ghost? Which is another callback to death and like spirituality with the Ouija board. In the next track for a guy who is questioning the existence of, of God and, and the devil, there is still a lot of religious implications, too, about what he's saying. So next up we have Sink or Swim, a song that starts with the question or questions, what if the devil was a lie? What if God did not exist? Ronnie goes on to say, with all due respect, tell me what is death if life is just a bitch. Here, again, we have something that feels somewhat philosophical, uh, but again, these are valid questions that uh, merit some sort of investigation, I think. It did kind of remind me of that subreddit where it's a, it's like r slash I'm a teenager and this is very deep. or I don't know what it's called. Let me check out what subreddit's called, but it's something like that. I'm 14 and this is deep, I think. Yeah. It's very angsty, again, but he seems to generally be pretty angsty. But they're, they're valid questions. Right. It, uh, it frames that sort of kind of middle of the road, almost agnostic kind of vibe and really puts things into question. It's r slash I'm 14 and this is deep. So Chris hit the nail on the head. Yep. Chris has been featured there. Heck no. (laughs) (laughs) I better not have been. Oh, well, I did make a very angsty poem when I was in middle school. So maybe that actually, I think I could have been if I, if I posted that. Is it short? Can you give a reading for us? Oh, (laughs) Uh, it was, what is it called when you, uh, it's like a word and then you, Give a sentence for each word. Acrostic. Acrostic. Like the letter? Yeah, for the letter. Where it's like a letter? The letter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, an acrostic poem. Yeah, I did an acrostic poem about friends, and it was. Oh, my God. Oh, I think I. F is for. F is for, like, forgetting me and, uh. Oh. Yeah, no. Let's see. There's stuff like that. I, I'll have to see if I can find it. It was a big bummer. <laughs> I was angsty in the saddest kind of way in middle school. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you you had to get that out into the universe. It couldn't just be kept uh, inside you there. That's, you know, not, not the worst way to express it. So good on you. 
It's for an English project, though, so that was kind of uh, I turned that I turned that in for school. Uh, I see, I see. So you made your teacher read that. <laughs> yeah, and she was like, "Hello, are you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be in a, a contrarian. If everyone's writing friends, that's nice. Then you could you stand out. Yeah, you know. And then for the cover of it, I drew a dragon, of course. So. I drew this dragon, and then it's this very emo poem about friends. <laughs> that is exactly how you are now, so I don't understand how anything has changed. Right. I like it. I am the same person, I guess. <laughs> dragon on the cover. No, dragon on the outside, sad on the inside. I'll take it. Chris. Very good. Uh, getting back to the song, though, I, I had written down sort of a question, kind of wondering who's paying the price for betraying Ronnie specifically. Perhaps it's his former band. It's got to be his former band. I mean, I feel like every song in this album is either about Escape the Fate, his friend Max Green, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. Max Green. Who I believe... Who I believe was in, or is still in, Escape the Fate? I think he is no longer. I think he's in his own band now. I don't remember the name. But he did start Escape the Fate with Ronnie. And a lot of these songs are about Max, I think. In some in, in some aspects of it, of Max kicking him out after he got arrested. I have a very vivid memory of... All of us hanging out in our friend Michaela's basement, listening to the second Falling in Reverse album as it debuted. And our friend's mom came downstairs and she was like, oh my God, is he still mad about this? No. And it was, it was Michaela's mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so funny. Oh, that's so (laughs) good. Man, we've made you listen to this too many times. (laughs) Just makes you think how much we listened to it when she wasn't there, too. I know, yeah. yeah it's funny you forget about the uh, the parent casualties <laughs> during <laughs> yeah. these times in a kid's life, but... It was really funny. And it was like, she came down for no other reason to, than to be like, are you serious? Still like, with this? She was in on Escape the Fate drama. So good. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's interesting, you, you uh, towards the end, he, he kind of wraps things with, I bid farewell to you, fair-weather friend. I know someday you'll get what you deserve. And after all the bridges you've burned, I forgive you for the things that you've done. A good sentiment there. I think that he kind of maybe realizes that fate is a much more apt punisher than somebody directly having something happen or... Whatever to somebody else. And we're not going to address the irony of escaping his fate. Correct. No, I mean, we can. Uh, You know, it's it's sort of out there in in the open there. Uh, But escaping his fate, well, I guess recognizing its effect on others. Yeah. But but I guess this whole album is, is really him, as we said time and time again, running and trying to get distance between himself and his past transgressions and uh and attitude perhaps so 
I read that this is a breakup album, but with a band and not a person. Sure. That's a very good description of it. Yeah. Right. It, uh, I, I noted that it seems that through the runtime of this song, that Ronnie comes to the realization that revenge isn't something that he has to exact on his, his quote-unquote enemies. Uh, or the best revenge is success. Sure, sure. Lest we forget that part of this song, the lyrics are, I wrap my hands around your throat and a smile upon my face. Squeeze until you choke. I will not let go until I feel okay. Right. So there is that, but <laughs> also maybe that's just kind of what he thinks initially needs to happen in order to, to get beyond his feelings about the situation, but has to take a step back and realize maybe that's that's too much. Right, that's in the middle of the song. It's that, it's that moment of instant gratification. If you take things kind of literally, uh, you don't have to, but that's more instantaneous than letting things sort of get sorted out as they would be and having his own success outshine in his mind the things that have been done to him uh, and wrongly so. Yeah, it's a good it's a good song. I I would listen to it a little bit for inspiration just because I mean, not that he came up with Sink or Swim, but I remember feeling like very attached to that mantra of like just keep going because there's not really an alternative. Mhm. You can't go backwards. Yeah. You really do have to forge ahead in whatever you're you're doing so it was a pump up song definitely I liked it. definitely i think that's it that's one of the things that the tail end of this album does so well it really does get you sort of inspired in a certain way which and i think for for the better um which is interesting to kind of feel that shift through the album you know you, you have the the uh the first few tracks, which are kind of laying the groundwork for, okay, this is kind of the the type of person that this this album is sort of based around. And then here is how we're going to get through that kind of thing. Very good description, Chris. I, uh, I think that that is very apt. So. And this is the, the next song is the most breakup-y of breakup songs. Caught Like a Fly is the next track. The song I would lip sync and dance around my room while I was going through a, a friendship breakup. It's funny because we we start with this um, this tune that to me has sort of a, a carnival kind of vibe, which I think is very interesting uh, and not seen in anything else in on this album. Uh, but it kind of does show that dichotomy of like, well, I'm, I'm having fun still. Like, I'm not really going to let what happened affect me. Um, there's still smiles to be had kind of thing. Yeah, but like in a manic way. In a manic way, yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm just glad there was not TikTok when we were teenagers because I definitely would have lip synced to this song and posted it and would have regretted it. If only TikTok was around, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> this song is very much a breakup song. If there's going to be a singular breakup song on this album, it's this one. He is 
very hurt, I think, in this song. I think that shows through these direct callouts where he ha- there's lines like, I must agree, you're just like me. I'm no effing saint, but at least I'll effing sing about it. All the audacity. Yeah. And I was, uh, you have left my heart black and blue, just like your father did to you. Like, wow. That is, whoever that's towards is so personal. This is such a deep cut that, I mean, obviously, you you know, if you don't really know anything about what's going on, then it, it kind of seems like it's out of left field. But for Ronnie, I think he uh, obviously did did it with a fair amount of intent behind those words. And the final death blow of your grandfather would probably roll in his grave if he knew of the person that you had became. So yeah, these are some personal familial attacks. Definitely feels like somebody who he had known for quite a bit of time probably got through some stuff with and I forgot about one of the lines I'm sorry no it's okay Do you, what, which one um, no eulogy from me just a smile on my face and while God might be busy with judging your soul I will have slept with the girl that you loved most like even when you're dead I'll I won't give a eulogy I'll be happy and sleeping with your girlfriend or wife or whatever yeah, this makes me think it's another song about Max Green, his, uh, I guess he was a friend of his since high school. So there's a lot of history and I guess a lot of hurt after everything that happened. High school friends are uh, a different breed, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and again, one of those songs that uh, get you pumped. Yeah, it makes you want to punch walls and stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything? Anything else? Not for me. Okay. All right. Moving on to what I believe is the yeah, the second to last track. We have Goodbye Graceful. The song I always skip. Really? I was going to say this is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it too. Interesting. Convince me. I just think it's his best singing. Really? Yeah. I think a lot of his other songs... I think he sounds very monotone and flat in a lot of his other songs. This one, I felt maybe definitely not the best singing, um, but I don't know. I I think it just hit a lot of a lot more notes with me. Yeah, and I think to piggyback off of that, the range and the difference in the harsh vocals compared to the regular singing style is much more pronounced because I feel like in a lot of the tracks, he kind of holds back that edge. And in this one, he's more open with it, which I appreciated a lot. I think, uh, I can't remember if this is the first line or it's in the, it's in the beginning. Uh, This line where he says, you know, he's standing in front of the gates of hell with a glass of ice water in his hand I'm not entirely sure what he meant by that. <laughs> it's a funny visual. Yeah, and it's possible that he's, <laughs> he's so at home or would be so unaffected by that scenario that he's okay. He's kind of come to terms with what he has done, and he knows that eventually he'll have to 
have have some sort of penance paid, but it won't it won't be something that he's not at least anticipating. He also says that there's lines where uh, this one in particular where he says, uh, "And if I die before I wake, tell the devil I'm on my way." Like that's just. Like, oh, like the devil's just going to know, oh, that's Ronnie. He's, he's coming. I, I got it. Okay. We'll make room for you kind of thing. Very, very edgy. And I was expecting you type of thing. Right. Exactly. This, I don't know who he's talking to necessarily, but I thought, I just really like these lines where he's saying, goodbye, graceful. I'm so grateful you helped to change my wicked ways when I was in my darkest days. I'm so thankful that you were able to save me from the burning flames and make me who I am today. I don't really know who he's addressing. I don't know if he's speaking to the fans or somebody in particular, but I just like that idea that he doesn't have to take things on his own. And if, you know, if you're listening, you kind of get that same, same vibe. Yeah. I had that in my notes too, that I couldn't tell if, I like I like the idea that it's his fans that he's writing to. Uh, I had that I didn't I didn't even consider that. I thought maybe it was a person, like a singular person, or it was just his relationship to music. I think that might be a little too abstract because it seems to be a little more directed uh, when he's in, in this song. But it, it is an interesting angle with. The fans, possibly, or, you know, a person that helped him out. There's a lot of different angles. It seems more specific just because he's saying goodbye to this person. So I'm wondering if he lost someone that helped him, you know, um, turn his life around. Yeah, I I couldn't get uh, an exact read on that. I, I tried to figure it out. I was digging through a lot of stuff and I didn't really have an exact answer but um i think there's also a bigger chunk of uh lyrics that i want to go over but just some quick notes i think like we had talked about chris it's sort of one of the harder or grittier songs when you listen to it just for the instruments and what's going on and and sort of off of that i think it's got one of the best guitar solos on the album uh at about the 250 mark you have this great uh, back and forth uh, answer during the solo. There was like this chugga and then followed by an answering chugga. Saying it doesn't do it justice, but if you go to that, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. If you go to that around two minutes, 50 second mark, it's just, it's so, it's just a lot of fun and like you can really kind of get into it. But kind of back to these lyrics that I, uh, I wanted to mention too. Uh, again, this is sort of a longer section, but towards the end, uh, where he mentions this boulder on my shoulder or shoulders, excuse me. It, uh, it got heavier and colder till the day that I got sober. I don't know. It's weird. Cause I was getting con- uh, kind of a con- contradicting read on that. Uh, I think it's sober from what I, I listened and listened. I think it's sober, but some people thought it was pass over. I don't think that's really fits. So I'm going to say sober. Um, now it's slowly rolling over. To all the people I've done wrong, now I apologize. To all the girls' hearts I broke, whose tears I made them cry. Uh, I know it's been a while and you have traveled many miles. Uh, And then to get away, it's not my style. But I thought that said technically, 
uh, I don't know. It's sort of a, a lyric that's uh, again up for debate. Uh, it's not my style, but I made this song to make you smile. It's just like, I don't know. I I, I just liked that. I, I thought it's kind of a nice thing. I was projecting, so I was thinking. I was like, oh yeah, f you. Like if someone wrote that, I'd if a certain someone wrote that, I would not forgive them. But fair enough. I just thought of it as just being Ronnie. Yeah, I don't think it's so important that they actually accept whatever apology he's giving. But I think it's interesting that he's actually apologizing to just like apologizing in general and that he's regretful of his behavior. It's a shift in tone for sure because it's like, you know, if you go from song to song, it's like confidence and bravado and then a little bit of vulnerability until it gets to this where it's like, okay, now I'm um, apologizing. Oh, that's what I liked about this song. It's It doesn't have the bravado, like you said. It's that somebody helped me get to this point. Whoever it is, whatever it is, he wasn't alone. And, you know, he's better for it, which I appreciate. That's another good point because... All of the other songs, it seems to be him like, oh, sink or swim, uh, raised by wolves. Like, I'm, I'm a solo person. I am breaking off. I am using my instincts. I'm the best. Self reliance is the only thing I can count on. But then it's like, well, there is this one person or concept that helped him through a lot. I think, given that it is their first album, it's at least worth him kind of setting up that mindset that he can kind of carry that through other tracks and in follow-up uh, projects so okay well i i thought it was interesting that uh you unfortunately did not or don't don't like this song that much i think i think a lot of it has to do with i'm not a, the biggest fan of uh, screamo. So it was hard for me to separate my dislike for that type of music in order to see the the appeal. But I mean, when you look at it on paper, it's a it's a good song. It's just uh, the delivery is just not my favorite. That's fine, and I think that that might be polarizing for a, a majority of people that are into this sort of the emo and uh, other kind of genres that are mixed in with what falling in reverse does. Yeah. This almost seemed like, I, I don't know if this is true at all, but in my kind of, in my head, I imagined that this song was a song that he wrote for escape the fate and it didn't make it through to an album and he liked it and everyone didn't. So he was going to publish it himself because it just didn't seem to fit. But uh, there's no like backing to that. That was just kind of, it just felt different stylistically and tonally. So I was just like, this, this is, uh, this is probably a song that he couldn't shake and wanted to put it somewhere. It was an outlier for sure. I welcomed it, but I, I can again, understand that there would be some people that just would it wouldn't it wouldn't connect and and it would be 
not uh it would sort of mess up that the very last bit of the album if people really wouldn't appreciate or, or really find anything entertaining about the uh screamo aspect okay so the last track we have is the westerner starting off with the lyrics about how i was born one morning in december on the coldest day uh which Ronnie was born in December, if anybody was curious. I forget. The, It'd be very weird if he wasn't. Right. I forget the exact day, but it's just funny to put that, uh, the sort of seasonal and overall vibe of December into your your birth, because you think of your birth as being such a pivotal, and, uh, you know, obviously it's sort of the start of your, your whole existence. So to make it, to flip it and and have the this contrast with winter as a season where a lot of things are going dormant or things are maybe past their life cycle and have died it's just an interesting thing to kind of tie up with that that idea um and i think that obviously the song is about ronnie as an individual uh not that the majority of the other songs are not, but it has the clearest link to his own experiences uh, lyrically as far as what he describes about his life up until this point. A lot more to do with his, his family and how that affected him and, and uh, in a way what shaped the music that he, he puts out. Because obviously this, this album, while it might be sort of an ode and a breakup with the previous band, the uh, emotions, I think, come from a deeper place, and this kind of explains that. Yeah, I think you had a good, interesting point about birth usually is supposed to be like a, like a, it's a good thing, you know, it's like a new life, you know, it's supposed to be happy and good, and he's talking about how it was december and it was cold well not just cold the the coldest day even though i just read he was born in las vegas <laughs> so not that cold i guess for la is what like 50 degrees yeah maybe there was a breeze um but yeah i think this song's interesting because it's a lot more about ronnie personally it it feels to me that he believes he's kind of been cheated in life that he kind of got like the raw end of the deal, you know, abandoned by my mother, addicted at age 21, been cheated. I've been sued wrongfully ac- accused, etc. It's, it's unfortunate because you kind of get the vibe that he, he might've been an only child, but he, he isn't. Yeah, I was surprised about that. I didn't know he had a brother. Two brothers, uh, one of which passed away. And obviously, they can have an effect on a person. But to make his life growing up kind of seem just about him is a little bit dismissive. Uh, and I, I, like, I like the song, but I think knowing his actual family situation it's hard to kind of just think of like oh no i was the only one that really had anything negatively impact me as far as 
you know, home life growing up kind of thing. But everyone has a different idea of, well, not everybody has siblings, but most people do, I think. And every sibling generally has an idea or a thought of why they got like the raw end of the deal in some way, in some fashion, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's true. I thought it was kind of, to switch gears a little bit, um, I thought it was kind of strange to have a song that is basically introducing yourself to the listeners at the end. Um, Because it's giving his whole history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it kind of, it it kind of complements the, the first song because he's kind of saying, well, you know, with raised by wolves, it's like he, he condenses his upbringing and leads in with that. And then that's kind of the basis for a lot of what he talks about in that song. But then now we have an actual somewhat real and legitimate description of of kind of what went on. The only thing I could think of to explain it would be that you have to earn his story. Like, you've got to work through all of this. You've got to know what I'm about before you know that I had, like, a rough childhood and I had drug issues. I was in jail. I mean, he he references all of that in the other songs, but to be so blunt. Yeah, I think working through it is... I don't know if I totally agree with like that terminology but it is interesting that you start off with raised by wolves which is this yeah you know i was i was raised by wolves and i'm i'm strong and i'm like this way now i you know i got a raw deal but in this one it gets way more into the details and it's a little bit more i'm hurting and it's not as great as it as i made it seem is how I look at it now. Yeah, I agree with that. There is a line that I really don't love. Whoa, I deserve a purple heart from all my effing wounds. Seems very, very angsty and very dramatic too. I mean, I get it that he didn't have a great life, but it, it just seems very over the top to me. It's extremely over the top. I actually didn't know what a purple heart was when I listen to the song in high school so i thought it was like oh cool like another metaphor for like being black and blue and bruised but then when i found out what a purple heart was i'm like okay i need to take several steps back because that's insane comparing yourself to a soldier is a little much yeah i mean it 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 goes and crosses into quote-unquote stolen valor territory and that just morally is something that i i oppose I, you know i mean war is one thing but come on man yeah it's definitely lame i mean you can say what you want about the military but people earn those for real reasons exactly breaking up with a band or getting betrayed by your friend is not the same thing as getting shot or killed in action it's, and it also doesn't show any kind of bravery because a lot of those awards are given to individuals who 
show bravery in a situation where a lot of people might not or would struggle to uh, to commit to that same action. Okay, so that was the album The Drug and Me Is You by Falling in Reverse. Maybe check out some of the songs that you thought were interesting or even the whole album. The rest of the discography, again, I, I will mention is a little bit divisive, but if you really like this album, check it out. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SpookyKidPod. You can also follow us on Twitch, where I do my Recap with Friends series. This upcoming month, we are discussing the documentary Tickled, so be sure to check that out and follow us for updates on that. And I have an art Instagram account, Chris Ambrose 80 if you like looking at monsters and stuff like that, so check me out. And follow me to the gates of hell. Uh, don't forget to bring your ice water, everybody. Bye. Bye.